1: The BBC Music
2: Magazine Podcast Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine Podcast. I'm the magazine's editor, Oliver Condy, and with me in the studio today are managing editor Rebecca Franks and editorial assistant Freya Parr. Hello. Hi. So before we get started, do head out and buy your copy of the February issue, which is out now. Better still, if you fancy subscribing, we've got a special discount for our podcast listeners. All of you can now get 30% off every six issues, which takes the cost to just £25.15. You can claim the offer by visiting buysubscriptions.com slash podcast. So... Before we take a look at what's actually in the February issue, let's find out what's been going on in the classical music world. So, yes, it's time for music news. Freya, you're going to kick off this month.
1: Yeah, so I've got some fun stats to kick us off this month. Um, right. The BPI, <laughs> we love it, I love a good number. <laughs> so the UK's Record Label Association, the BPI, has released a whole bunch of statistics on the streams and sales of classical music from the last year, and there's been just over ten percent increase um, from classical music, which has outperforms the five point seven percent rise in UK music consumption generally. So it's quite significant more because actually five point seven is still pretty pretty good. Um, Streaming has increased too as part of that, but at a much slower rate than Mm. CD sales, which seem to still be 60%, I think it is, of most classical music consumption, which is interesting. So it's a good news story.
2: Yes, I think the classical music fraternity is always going to be fond of its physical product. Yes, but at the same time, streaming is such a convenient medium. Mm. I mean, going home and actually not having to get a physical product out and put it on a player to, to play anything is is one of the things that exploded so much. Certainly for me in the last couple of years. I mm. mean, I, in the last twelve months, I've almost changed completely my listening habits.
0: I use yeah. streaming a lot for kind of discovering new music, actually, and trying yeah. trying out things because you can sample things really easily. But I think there is still as you say there's people still like a physical product and mm. the, the booklet notes um, that often will give you an insight into the artist or to the, the context as a piece of music I think that's such an integral part of a, of a classical CD that- Yeah
1: It's a great way of introducing people to classical music as well particularly through kind of playlist culture but it can or I always find it very difficult to search for things through streaming services because there's so Mm. many different versions The
2: metadata is still pretty bad actually you know you try and search for a version I mean I've got one of those assistants one of those smart assistants Mm. at home and uh, you know trying to search for a particular recording of a Tchaikovsky (laughs) symphony is impossible and actually as Richard Morrison says um, in in this issue um, that he, you know he's actually mourning the demise of the booklet note Mm. because if you are listening on streaming there's no way of finding out about it unless you go online and actually actively search but yes well, there's the one
1: streaming service that do the, but I don't know what it is, but they do the booklet notes. As Cobas. That yeah, that one. And Naxos Music Library, uh, yeah, they which you can stream on. They do the booklet notes as well, because mm. they are very, they're much more important than with other musical genres. I think the booklet notes for classical music, so mm. yeah, an interesting old yeah, stance. Yeah, but
2: good, good news story. And I, th- I think it's just really now how the industry continues to make money, continues mm. to make a profit from streaming. Mm. Um, so, but Definitely. yes, but yes, good news. Um, my story is rather less good news. Um, the, the death of Jean-Jubert, composer um, of South African birth, um, died at the age of 91. But I mean, an incredible legacy, particularly of choral music. Um, I've certainly enjoyed performing his works over the years. Um, academic, uh, worked up in the University of Hull, and it's where he wrote this gorgeous anthem, There Is No Rose, uh, which we're going to hear a clip from now. That was an extract from There Is No Rose performed by the Choir of Gloucester Cathedral conducted by Adrian Partington and that's on a Priory disc which is the choral music of Jean Joubert.
0: Yes, it's sad because actually recently there was a flourishing of interest in his music for his 90th birthday which included four new recordings I think one from Wells Cathedral um, of his choral music and the premiere of his opera, uh, Jane Eyre so yes, it was sad that there was just this really recent flourishing of interest
2: hm mm, yes an incredible composer huge legacy and i think we're going to really sort of start you know as one always does when composers die when they pass mm. you know there's a renewed interest in their music and uh, mm. so hopefully a lot of, of his music will now resurface mm. So this month we announced the nominations of the BBC Music Magazine Awards, which you can find online on our website at classical-music.com. So to kick us off with our discussions of what's been nominated, here's a quick extract of all three nominations in the instrumental category.
0: So, that was just three short snippets from the recordings nominated in the instrumental category. We heard the pianist Alexander Melnikov playing Debussy on the Harmonia Mundi label, uh, guitarist Sean Schieber playing Steve Reich on Delphian Records, and Viking Olafsson playing Bach, and that's on Deutsche Grammophon. And that's one of the seven categories in the BBC Music Magazine Awards 2019. And you can vote now for your favourite discs at our website, classicalhybermusic.com forward slash awards. And that closes on the 19th of February. Um, so this is really the result of uh, quite a long behind the scenes process that we've had um, listening to all the discs that were given five stars in the magazine last year. We had a great day uh, with our jury. Uh, who cover everything, the specialist and everything from medieval chant up to notes written far more recently in the last year or two. And had to have a lot of discussion and debate to, to choose these shortlists which we're very proud of and we'd love to hear which which discs are your favourites
2: Yes, there's a huge amount of variety actually isn't there I mean just having a look at the chamber nominations there's uh, you know, Basowitz uh, Chamber Music, um, there's a solo recital by Patricia Kopachinskaya and uh, Debussy Lake Works, I mean there's it's a huge amount of variety in there and I think mm. it's I mean I would hate to have to choose between a lot of them because I mean it sounds very cliched but they're, they're kind of all winners aren't they?
0: They absolutely are, and I mm. think that's definitely how our, our jury felt. Yes, you do go and vote.
2: Yes, yeah, so it's classical-music.com/slash awards, and uh, well, it's open now for, for your votes. So go along and click. So don't forget our website at classical-music.com where you can read about all the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews, enjoy our free download of the week and a good deal more. Plus, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and we have an iPad edition available on the App Store. Riches indeed. And do sign up to our newsletter via the website. So let's carry on with the show. And as a quick precursor to talking about what's in the actual magazine, here's a clip from our gorgeous cover CD a recording of beautiful 20th century songs, including Finzi's song cycle, Earth and Air and Rain, performed by BBC New Generation artist Ashley Riches and pianist Anna Tilbrook. So let's hear the opening song, Summer Schemes. When Again, a little fiver to these hills. So that was Ashley Riches and Anna Tilbrook uh, performing Summer Schemes from Gerald Finzi's song cycle Earth and, Air and Rain, written sort of pre-war. So beautiful, sort of bittersweet song cycle. Um, I adore Finzi's music. Um, and we've also got music by Manuel de Fire, Serrano, Obrador, and a good deal more. On the cover of this month's magazine is pianist James Rhodes, um, a very sort of a pro- provocative um, uh, artist, um, interesting, fascinating individual, very talented pianist and very passionate about the way that he presents his programs. So it's been fascinating to have him sit down and be interviewed by John Evans in, in what is a very revealing interview, actually. Um, his thoughts about, uh, you know, concert going and and um, the way that people enjoy concerts and the way that artists present concerts is 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 a theme that's always worth exploring, and he does it in a very interesting way. Um, So that's really worth talking about. Um, I've been to a James. I've been to a few James Ray's concerts, and he's he's absolutely fascinating uh, to to watch. The audience is hanging on his every word and every note.
0: Really seems to have this
1: ability to communicate powerfully with his audiences. Yes, Mm. and his books are incredible. I've read both of his books, and they they hit you very intensely. He's got like a miraculous way with words that completely. Paint a picture, um, so I think he's just as good as words with he, as he is with notes. But yeah, it was fascinating to seeing um, seeing it all from his perspective with John. So,
2: and also the fact that music has really, I mean, you know, saved him. Music has really mm. brought him out of out of a very dark place, a very very uneasy childhood, um, and and music is something that he's, you know, he's been able to use to to work through. Um, his his various sort of mental health issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very hard not to be in awe of his sheer courage, yeah. I, I find, because, you know, he was abused as a child and the trauma led to ongoing mental illness and he's had the fight that huge fight in court to be given the right to publish his story. Um, so sort of just in terms of, yeah, as I say, the sheer courage and grit and determination, but to, to be out there in the world telling his story twinned with this utter passion for for the great composers, for Bach, for Rachmaninoff, for Chopin, for Beethoven, for that to not be undiluted. It makes him
1: a really fascinating individual, I think. Mm, you hear so much about the kind of cliche of the healing power of music, but he is proof that music can be completely healing and can, yes, the struggle he has to get on stage, but it is clearly worth it and he's actually cre- created a playlist for us as well so have a listen he's got all of his kind of favorite works that have really impacted him here over the years that is on our spotify page oh that's interesting because in, in his
0: books he also always mm. sort of wants to point people to towards playlists and to yeah. go and listen to music and to, to take part in it and actually i you know he's advocated for, for before for taking half an hour to bring some creativity into your life each day. Mm. So you don't just sit and watch TV. You might actually sit down and try and play the piano or learn something. And that passionate belief, I think, is very inspiring. Mm. Definitely.
2: So Freya, talking of gritty and challenging, uh, we're going to talk about um, a rather wonderful recording of the month.
1: Yes, so let's kick off with hearing an extract from it and then I'll go into a bit more detail. This is uh, from a record of Lutislavski's Symphonies Number 1, 4 and Je Venetienne, that was a mouthful, uh, performed by the Finnish radio symphony orchestra under Hannu Lintu, and we're going to listen to the finale from Symphony No. 1. And that was the finale from Lutislavski's Symphony No. 1 um, from the recording by the Finnish Radio Symphony Orchestra with Hannu Lintu on the Ondine label. This is a great introduction to his orchestral writing if you're unfamiliar with him. The sound quality throughout is sublime and it's an excellent interpretation. Um, The first symphony in particular is often sort of forgotten about and was one of the first major Polish work to be banned under Stalin's leadership so it's got fantastic history to it as well. And I'm, always,
2: I'm always in awe by Lutoslawski's mm. orchestrations actually the textures mm. that he manages to get. And it's not nearly as
1: kind of challenging as you would think No, it's very approach I mean it's <laughs> as you can hear a lot <laughs> but it's dynamic and it's really great it's a really good disc to listen to so I definitely recommend it.
2: Yeah and Hanu Lintu is, is, is a, it's a- wonderful, vibrant
1: mm. uh,
2: conductor. I mean, it always seems to get so much passion from the orchestra and so much, you know, the, the, there's there's, um, there's a, a lot of drama in that recording.
0: Mm. Follow that.
2: So, Rebecca, what have you got for us this month from the magazine?
0: Well, I think it's a bit of light relief, really. Uh, it's our <laughs> piece called Divas Behaving Badly, which is a brilliant piece by Dr Alexandra Wilson about how opera singers of the 1920s Although they were finding themselves challenged by the new jazz, film and sports uh, sports stars who were vying for celebrity status. And so this is a a very lively and colourful look at how they tried to stay in the limelight. Got some great anecdotes. For example, there was the soprano uh, Frida Hempel, who chartered a plane to London so her dog could visit the vet. Um, Luiz, Luisa Tetrazzini, she had an unpaid tax bill, uh, which landed her in some hot water. So she paid all one thousand five hundred pounds of it in five pound notes, and then gave the tax man a slice of homemade Christmas pudding just to go with it as well. So it's, <laughs> it's full of tales of kind of bad behaviour, people pushing the boundaries, trying to. Yeah. <laughs> caught the limelight with gossip and glamour and all the everything that you could could hope for really but It's, it's, it's <laughs>
2: quite funny because you know history really repeats itself. You know you have a lot of stories, you know a lot of fabricated stories of, of sopranos doing things or tenors doing things to get into the press and lo and behold you know a hundred years later you've got exactly the same, there wasn't that story of the violinist who allegedly lost their violin, it was stolen from a taxi, it was ended up being completely fabricated and so there was this sort of worldwide search find such and such as violin, uh, when in fact it wasn't missing all the time. I think the record industry, the, the record label in question just shoved <laughs> it in a cupboard for an afternoon. So I, I think, you know, and all these sort of presenting, uh, I, I don't know, um, record contracts to to nuns behind bars in a Carmelite monastery, you know, all those mm. kind of gimmicks that, that really sort of give a story a, a bigger spin than, than they necessarily deserve. It's a good, good
0: bit of fun, isn't it? It is. And I think there's still a big appetite definitely for opera singers today to kind of spice up everyday I'll life a little bit. You know, you think of Anna Trebko. She's got this Instagram account, which if you've not followed, you definitely should because it's <laughs> kind of the diva lifestyle, uh, exactly as you'd imagine. Yeah.
2: So now we're going to um, talk about the discs we've discovered this month in first lesson.
1: Four.
2: So I'm going to kick off this month with um, a discovery I've made on the Warner Classics label. It's a recording called Chaplin's Smile, and it's music by Charlie Chaplin. So most people obviously know him as the the Hollywood actor, silent film star, but not many people know him as, as quite a talented composer, although I'm not entirely sure that he could necessarily read music and score music, but he did have a remarkable ear for melody and worked with some of Hollywood's greatest arrangers and composers to put together some of the greatest... Uh, well. Um, put together some really quite arresting soundtracks for for many of his films. Um, And this is a delightful uh, tribute to Charlie Chaplin by violinist Philippe Quint with pianist Marta Asnavorian, And um, it's just a delightful kind of um, collection of bonbons, really, and arrangements of Chaplin's um, sort of most delightful melodies. Uh, This particular one um, is called Mandolin Serenade and features a guest appearance from Joshua Bell. Uh, and it was written originally for the film *The King in New York, um, one of his lesser-known films from 1957. In fact, it wasn't actually shown in America until 1973. But um, it's a delightful piece of music, and I I just loved loved the passion and and the delight that comes through. So that was Philip Quint and uh, Joshua Bell performing Mandolin Serenade by Charlie Chaplin uh, with pianist Marta Asnavodian. And that's a new recording on the Warner Classics label. Freya, what have you brought in for us this month?
1: Um, So I've brought something slightly more familiar. Um, It's a recording of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake and it's actually the original 1895 version which doesn't actually get recorded a huge amount. Um, And it's by the State Academic Symphony Orchestra of Russia with Vladimir Dzirovsky. Um, and this recording has sort of opened a bit of a can of worms for me in rediscovering ballet scores. Um, and it's a live recording and it's just really beautiful. We're going to listen to the Andante from the Act One Padedeur. Yes that was from the Act One Padida from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake Um, and I just think it's beautiful it's kind of obviously because it's a live recording it's slightly imperfect in moments but it's just perfectly imperfect Um, (laughs) and because it's not when you see the ballet live often the kind of rhythms are quite generous in terms of like they've got to allow the dancers to move but this is purely just the music for the sake of music Um, and the recording quality is superb and it's just really impactful stuff and just reminded me of what a beautiful score it is. What label is it on? It's on Pentatone.
2: Uh, they've always got a great um, mm. sort of sense of sound as well. Yeah. Always, they, they, actually, from the, from the very start, they mm. were one of the first to really sort of embrace the SACD technology, and I mm. think they've really taken that sort of tradition and carried it on, really. Mm. The sound quality is central to what they do. Yeah,
1: particularly as it's a live recording. It's really impressive, and it's very atmospheric, the whole thing. Loved it. Rebecca? So I have brought along a disc on Naxos, which
0: is of the American composer Florence Price. And I think she's a composer whose name will be familiar to regular listeners of our podcast as we did a feature on her uh, last year. Uh, so she's a 20th century American composer and her music is starting to be sort of played a lot more and recorded after a whole uh, load of her scores, handwritten scores were discovered um, fairly recently. And this, is, this disc features... Uh, her first and fourth symphonies. It's actually the world premiere recording of the fourth symphony, which was written in 1945, but only premiered last year by the Fort Smith Symphony and conductor John Jetter. Who appear on this disc as well? Um, so I think anyone who's heard her first symphony, which was the 1933 piece that kind of really brought her to national attention in her lifetime, won a prize. It was performed by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I think they'll enjoy this fourth symphony as well, which was written to say in, in 1945. And we're going to hear an extract from the Juba Dance, which is the third movement. <laughs> So that was the, the Juba dance, which was the third movement of Florence Price's fourth symphony in D minor. And yeah, it's just a really
1: enjoyable recording and it's great to see her music being given a good performance. Yeah, you're um, right, because sometimes with composers that are lesser known or have been lesser known, there are only a handful of recordings, some of which could be quite weak, so it's nice to have good quality recordings coming through of composers that really should be given more of a platform. Definitely, and I really hope we start to hear more of her music
0: in uh, more of her symphonies performed in concert as Mm. well.
2: So that brings us to the end of the February edition of our podcast. Uh, Join us next month when we'll be talking about the March issue. So from us, it's goodbye.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. The BBC Music Magazine Podcast.